To the Lord, let's turn and pray that his word would be a blessing to us tonight. Our God and Heavenly Father, again, we ask that for Jesus' sake, your spirit would be at work in this ministry of the word tonight, these means of grace by which you open the kingdom, and where also, Lord, it also is closed to those who won't receive it. We're glad that you will accomplish what you set out to do with your word and never returns to you void. And we pray that we would take it to heart then with your spirit's blessing, uh, the truths of your gospel and the joys of knowing it in Christ. May your spirit be so at work in us that way, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, Psalm 51, 1 to 3, 2 Corinthians 5, 12 to 21, and also we're going to read from Article 14 and 15 of the Belgic Confession. It talks about original sin, which we'll spend a lot of time on tonight, but also the creation and fall of man in his, in his incapacity to perform what's truly good. So while we look at those, we don't want to miss out on the gospel, though, do we? So we, we do want to... We do want to mention about the bad news, about our depravity outside of Christ, but we need to preach Christ too, don't we? So we want to do that tonight in our service, in our sermon. Our sermon is called Renewed in the Sinless One. We are the sinful ones. Christ, praise God, is the righteous one by which we obtain righteousness. So we uh, take a look at uh, those two articles out of the Belgian Confession, page 75 and 76 in just a moment, in the back of the Psalter hymnal, but we read first from the Old Testament, Psalm 51, then the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, 12 to 21. First from Psalm 51, starting with verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away, or cast, yeah, excuse me, cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing heart, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 12 to 21. 
And here we read this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But when we are, when we are, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God, Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we thank the Lord for these portions of his word. If you want to follow along in the articles, you can. We're at 75 in the back of the hymn book, article 14, the creation and fall of man and his incapacity to perform what is truly good. We believe that God created man out of the dust of the earth and made and formed him after his own image and likeness, good, righteous, and holy, capable in all things to will agreeably to the will of God. But being in honor, he understood it not, neither knew his excellency, but willfully subjected himself to sin, consequently to death and the curse, giving ear to the words of the devil, the commandment of life which he had received he transgressed and by sin separated himself from God who was his true life having corrupted his whole nature whereby he made himself liable to corporal and spiritual death being thus become wicked uh, perverse and corrupt in all his ways he has lost all his excellent gifts which he had received from God and retained only small remains thereof which however are sufficient to leave man without excuse for all the light which is in us is changed into darkness. As the scriptures teach us, saying, The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not, where St. John calls men darkness. Therefore we reject all that is taught repugnant to this concerning the free will of man, since man is but a slave to sin, and can receive nothing except it have been given from him from heaven. For who may 
presume to boast that he of himself can do any good, since Christ says, no one can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him? Who will glory in his own will? Who understands that the mind of the flesh is enmity against God? Who can speak of his knowledge? Since the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. In short, who dares suggest any thought? Since he knows that we are not sufficient of ourselves to account anything as of ourselves, but that our sufficiency is of God. Therefore, what the apostle says ought justly to be held sure and firm, that God worketh in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is no understanding nor will comfortable to the divine understanding and will, but when Christ is wrought in man, which he teaches us when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We believe that through the disobedience of Adam, says Article 15, original sin is extended to all mankind, which is a corruption of the whole nature and a hereditary disease, wherewith even infants in their mother's wombs are infected and which produces in man all sorts of sin. Being in him is a root thereof and therefore is so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn all mankind. Nor is it altogether abolished or wholly eradicated even by baptism, since sin always issues forth from this woeful source as water from a fountain. Notwithstanding, it is not imputed to the children of God unto condemnation, but by his grace and mercy he has forgiven them. Not that they should rest securely in sin, but that a sense of this corruption should make believers often to sigh desiring to be delivered from this body of death. Wherefore, we, also, we reject the error of the Pelagians who assert that sin proceeds only from imitation. God's blessings on his word tonight. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes when I think about this truth in the word about original sin, what we term original sin, I, I'm reminded of the times when the assembling line was first uh, really introduced in that massive way back uh, in the days of Henry Ford in Detroit. Prior to that, when you needed a part for your car, somebody had to try to make one that was similar in form to what you had once had. It may or may not fit. It may or may not work. Uh, but you hoped it would, but then the assembly line came along and they could make massive amounts of parts that were all of the same mold. And until they changed that mold, until they changed that design, uh, the things that came out of that factory were things that were always similar to what had come out originally. Well, such is what we find in essence with original sin. And we'll talk about in what ways that is in just a moment as we focus not only upon original sin, but the one who came to change the mold, to break the mold, you might say, of what caused, was caused by original sin. Because in the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, we have someone whom God used and we get reminded of that in a more celebratory way in the weeks that are coming up. 
about the fact that God sent his son for the very purpose of bringing someone who would be different from all the others that were in the mold of sin. He came to change that. He came to break that. He came to eradicate that pattern that had plagued the human race. In the new form of Christ, we find ourselves no longer needing to be old. We could be new. And we focus on the beauty then tonight of being renewed in Christ. And it's good that the confession doesn't lose sight of that as it's trying to bring out these things about our incapacity to do good on our own. Our incapacity uh, to be able to will even our faith. It leaves us in those senses hopeless, but there's, there's renewal. That's, that's something God can bring about. That's something Christ can bring about. There's forgiveness that can be found in Him. So while the subject of original sin is important to address, important to admit, important to confront, it's true, it's real, it needs to be respected and acknowledged. It's for a purpose. Not to leave us there, but so that we might then find our grace and our renewal in Jesus Christ, conceived and born not in sin, but conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So that here's the one who could be the one, the only one that nobody else could be, and so that we would no longer have to be looking around and trying to find and find it elusive to find ourselves to get out of being merely an Adam and in the old mold. No, that's been broken when we've come to know that we're not merely an Adam anymore. Now we're in Christ. No longer merely an Adam who was created good, but who subsequently fell into sin, but rather renewed in Christ who was conceived and born in righteousness and who became our righteousness by his righteousness so that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could know the righteousness of God and no longer look at Christ or look at anything for that matter in any way according to the flesh but in accordance and in the perspective of God. So being renewed in the sinless one means that we once were old in sin and then we have been made new in Christ. That's what we believe. That's what we're called to believe. Not merely, not merely, but truly that we were old in sin, we were old in Adam, but we are new. We are new in Christ. From Psalm 51, written by David by the inspiration of the Spirit after his sin with Bathsheba. We hear that David understands by the Lord's grace, of course, that he was one who was conceived and born in sin. 
He was old in sin. I was born in sin and in sin did my mother conceive me. I need to be renewed. I needed to be renewed. Here's one of those areas of the Christian faith that is oftentimes the greatest offense of the unbelieving world, isn't it? Of stony, sinful human hearts that don't want to be told uh, that they are in need of a Savior and that they are by nature those who hate God and their neighbor. That they are inherently evil and not inherently good. Because in our nature, we want to look good. We want to consider ourselves to be people that are lovable. And we love to try to list, the, in essence, to list the ways that we are. That we're good citizens, right? We don't kick anybody's dog. We don't run over anybody's lawn. Right? We don't go and rob banks. We're decent people. We're inherently good. Consequently then, what we need for, from God is, is not so much pardon or renewal like David talks about or illumination or direction. No, it's not what we need from him. It's what we want from him that matters if we acknowledge God at all. We, we want God to be there to fill our bucket. To fill our bucket materially or politically. Uh, if God is going to be there for us, if we're going to acknowledge Him to be around, then what He's there for is for us. It's so that we can have all the things that we want. All the things that we crave. All the things that life has to offer. And you'll hear people proclaim that kind of stuff from podiums. That's what God's there for. God isn't there so that you and I could live for Him as if like we sang earlier, that song that James chose, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. It's not like we're coming to him then and saying, well, we owe everything to you, God. All that we are, we owe to you, and we're going to live accordingly. No, 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 God's not there so we can live for him because of what he's done to renew us. He's simply there for us. That's what he's there for. Dark minds don't think they need renewing. So if we acknowledge God at all, it's just to use him. To use him for our worldly, selfish ends. Completely different than what... The, the uh, 2 Corinthians passage says to us that where it says we're no longer living for ourselves. Well, when you don't know grace, you don't know and you don't care about living for anybody else but for yourself, ultimately. 
And if God's going to be around, well, then we might as well tap into him so that he can fill our bucket. For some, if we do sin, it, it's, it, it's not because we're sinful by nature. You hear that in the confession, right? Well, we don't want to follow the Pelagian way where Pelagian, Pelagius would say, ah, no, 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 humanity was always, it's, it's essentially good, it's inherently good. And the only way that you end up becoming bad is because you just see everybody else bad. See, and, and so when it really comes down to it then that way, uh, it's really not your fault anyway. It's these other people. Right? You can always pawn it off onto somebody else. I was a good person until I ran into that person or this person. I just watched what they did. Well, that was the imprint that they left for me. Now, no doubt that we we, we do imitate other people's wrongs, sad to say. Which is why it's so important to be good role models. To, to, when you're in a position of authority of any kind, right? Even you boys and girls, if maybe you have to babysit your little brothers or sisters, you all of a sudden get put in charge. And you have to be a, a good role model for them. If they watch what you're doing, they may just do the same thing. Well, they will. One, they may or may not do what's right or, or wrong. But if you're in that position of, of being in charge, you have a great deal of influence. They're, they're going to follow the leader on the, in the, for the most part. And as parents, we, we have that uh, heavy responsibility also to not forget. To not forget what... What a position we're in and how our children emulate us, how they reflect us. And uh, when we're certainly in, in Christ, particularly, we need to see ourselves as being uh, worthy of imitation, of course. And one way or the other, we're going to be imitators. But the reason that we sin isn't, first of all, because we see other people do it. Again, that would be like shifting the blame, wouldn't it, to somebody else? If, if those people just did what was good, then I would have done what was good. And that goes all the way back to the fall. All right? I just followed the woman. Well, Adam, you were supposed to be the one that was followed. You were supposed to be the leader and you weren't there. So quit blaming your wife. You were supposed to be a leader and you dropped the ball. Now the reason that we sin is because by nature and in Adam we're sinful. We're both sinners in act, but we're also sinners by nature. You know, it's easy to look at a, at a child, isn't it, that's young and say, well, that's a cute baby and it, it, we, we appreciate that when we see children that way. And, but it's easy to quick, quickly add to that, and they're so innocent. And, and no, they're not. I mean, open the Bible, right? We, we even have to look at our cute little children through the Word. In sin did my mother conceive me. It's a good thing when becoming a parent to realize that your children are not innocent. That's an essential lesson of a parent. Johnny does do wrong. 
And we were talking about that in amongst different people at different times. And, I, you know, you don't always want to say, well, back in my day, and this is how everything was done, and it was always better that way. Boy, I wish it was always like that. Now, you know, old days weren't always, old, always good. But there were times, to be sure, in the past, just anecdotally, that you can look at things and recognize that, and it's oftentimes missing today, right, is this idea that Johnny does do wrong. Johnny does do wrong. Right? Teachers are hamstrung, oftentimes, today, because parents think Johnny or Jane doesn't do anything wrong. They presume it's got to be the teacher's fault. Now, it could have been the teacher's fault, or it could have been the authorities. It could have been, but it certainly isn't Johnny. Because Johnny's a good boy. We often find parents who act as if their Johnny doesn't, or their Jane doesn't do anything wrong. Now, he, he needs, or she needs, our discipline, our counsel, our admonition, are steering, even if they might not think so. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they don't think so. It doesn't matter if they think that you're the bad guy or the bad cop or whatever that way. Or even if you may not think so. God gave those children to us in part to show them the way by word and deed, because they are not sinless. And they are not born sinless. They are born sinners. And the reason for that is because they're part of the human race, and more to the point of Scripture, they're in Adam. Original sin is called original sin because sin originates in our first parents, Adam and Eve. And with Adam as head of the first home, he's held responsible. He tries to pawn it off on his wife, but he dropped the ball. And in Adam, we all die. While in Christ, we're all made alive. as We'll see a little bit more in a moment. But because we're all in Adam, Adam's sin is passed down to his posterity in the form of guilt and corruption. We're conceived and born in sin. We share in his guilt and we share in his corruption. Now in identifying us and comparing us to Christ in this passage from 2 Corinthians, we hear that we were old creation. Old things were of us. We're not just sinners. We're sinful in and of ourselves. That's the mold, right? That's the pattern. That's the form which, which every mere human holds. The confession puts it this way, that the disobedience of Adam is extended to all mankind, which is a corruption of the whole nature and a hereditary disease with which, where which even infants in their mother's wombs are infected being in him. So why do we make such a big deal about the historicity of Adam? 
that he was a real historical figure. It, for it is in Adam, it's because in Adam that we come to see our sinful condition left to ourselves. And apart from that, that right perspective, then we'll never come to appreciate the mercy of God, the depth of God's mercy, shown when he sent us the one who was a different pattern and a different mold. So that as those called to be reconciled to God, it could happen. We could have our, our old mold broken in Christ. Now people might just as soon do without the historicity of Adam. Because they may say, well, wouldn't it be a better story, you see, to say that, that people are getting better all the time from their primitive state. That's the alternative gospel, at least one of them, right? We're just getting better as time goes on. That's the evolutionary gospel that's out there. That's the hope that drives a lot of people today. Mankind's just improving with the passing of time. Governed, of course, by nothing but fate. Yeah, that's just it's so odd, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that just isn't a secure way to live, right? There's this, there's this runaway boulder called, ironically, the cosmos, right? The, what's in order? No, it's not in order. It's, it, there, there's this chaos that's just running amok, and then we have people who want to make order out of that. How do you do that? You, you want this, this hope for people, and you say, you know, let's just, let's hope in humanity. As time goes on, things are just going to get better. Based on what? How can that be when, when your, you, your starting point says there is no order? There's nobody who's designed this. Now, you want to put a design to it. You can't do that. You want to bring order to people in an unordered universe to secure people's hope for the future. Not to mention how many people lose out on that because they're not going to be alive to experience that grand day that's coming for humanity. Where do you get that? No, no, this sinful state and this sinful way is, is what we along with David of old are called to admit of ourselves. And our corruption from which we would desire to be delivered. Things started well when God created good. And it went down from there because man sinned. And nothing that a, a human being is going to try to order from a supposedly disordered world is going to change that. Only God's going to change that. And sacraments can't rid us of that. Confession talks about, you know, your baptism isn't going to change that. 
None of, neither one of the sacraments in themselves is going to do that. This connection to Adam is sufficient, as the scriptures point out to us, to condemn us all. In Adam we die. We all die. And if we're those who fail to recognize that corruption and this guilt and this sin in our lives, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we can't break that pattern and none of us can do that. That's the creature we become. And the only person who can break that pattern is God. And the only person that can recreate us is God. And he does that through this one. This different one that he sent who breaks the pattern from the outset. He's come to break the pattern. He makes a new start. He breaks the mold. And the virgin conception and birth of Jesus Christ already establishes the truth that a new humanity has come through God incarnate, Jesus Christ. The devil incarnate came, we've talked about that before, right? The devil incarnate came before and caused havoc. God incarnate comes to renew, to bring peace. And unlike all those who are otherwise conceived and born in sin, this one, this one, the only one, who would be called Jesus because he alone would save his people from this son, sin, from their sin, this one, this one would be the Holy One. What the angel says to Mary, the Holy One not the holy 10, 20, 000, million, this holy one will make the difference. He'd be conceived not by sinful man, but by the Holy Spirit. He would be conceived and born by one who knew no sinful man. Others, she would conceive and bear in sin, but not this one. Not this one. He'd be different. This one would know no sin. Now there's a new humanity, and it's found in the new Adam, the second Adam, the last Adam, the righteous Adam, the new man, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Now there's another kind of humanity. That one has not really seen since the fall of Adam. And now there's two kinds of humanity. The old one of Adam, and now the new humanity of Jesus Christ. Originally we, were in, we are in Adam. But when we're heeding the call to reconciliation, reconciliation to God in Christ, through repentance and faith, we can be known as those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ are no longer old or guilty 
the right with God. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Why? Because God has sent his son who was not of the same mold. We're new in Christ. He's not like all the other parts. He's the sinless one so that he might be the perfect substitute for us. Now in him we're new creations. And what does that mean for us? Well, for one thing, we're no longer guilty but right before God, but it also means that we can confess and live out that truth that since he died so that we might live, we, know, we now may no longer live for ourselves. Because that's the old way. Now we can live for him who died for us and rose again. The confession says that our sinfulness is not counted against us. They use the word imputed, which means, of course, to be not counted against us, not added to our account. That sinfulness is not counted against us, but by his grace and mercy is forgiven us. And whether we're talking about our justification or sanctification or even our glorification, when we will know perfect righteousness delivered from this body of death, God breaks the mold, doesn't he, of our sinful past that we can never break so that we might become his righteousness. And he does it through the one who came who broke the pattern, who broke the mold, who, who alone could take that enmity that we had with God so that our trespass would no longer be counted against us and we could sing that he is our defender, redeemer, and friend. And nobody else could do that except this unique one. All the rest of us are of the old mold. See, in our sin, we want to look at Christ according to the flesh. That's what the apostle knew himself, right? That's why he was a persecutor of Jesus. That's why he would drag people off to imprison them and hold the coats of those who stoned Stephen because he was looking at the gospel and he was looking at Jesus according to the flesh. He was re rejecting him. He, they, he was misrepresenting him. But when we're new... We don't want to do that with him anymore, nor look at other people with the hatred with which we once looked at them according to the flesh. We don't want to look at anything anymore according to the flesh. We don't want to look at our lives like that according to the flesh. And that's because we know that, that Christ was different than us so that we might now become different people. We don't look at what we look at and we're striving, we're called to that, to not look at what we're looking at according to the flesh. In a sinful way, in a sinful attitude, 
Christ was the new man so that we might become new creatures. Certainly for eternity, but also right now. So when people see you or they see me, they ought to see somebody who looks at Christ and looks at others and looks at their situations, looks at the world in accordance with the Spirit, in accordance with God's Word, in accordance with Christ. Not according to the flesh anymore. Christ the mold breaker came so that our old mold of sin and guilt and perspective would be broken unto justification and righteousness and love for God and for neighbor and, 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 and to stop living for ourselves. Stop living for ourselves. You know, but living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please Him in all that we do. And that's the ministry of the church today. Whether you hear that in the tail end of Psalm 51 that we read, or as we hear it in 2 Corinthians, to reconcile people to God through the only one who can reconcile them. Jesus Christ. To see people by the grace of God be made new. To have a new heart created in them and a right spirit by the Holy Spirit so that they could be saved, to be sure, but that they could stop living for themselves and stop looking at everything and everyone and Jesus Christ especially according to the flesh. No matter what people seek to do to, to break the mold of their ways, we can't break them by ourselves. Only Christ can do that. We can't be new people. You know, people will try to get people to be different people. You leave Jesus out of it? Well, you're not really new. Now, we can't be new people unless we're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We, we have to acknowledge Him as our substitute who broke the mold of our sin and guilt. We celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ because that's exactly what we confess that He came to do for us. If we have had our old mold broken by Him, may we find ourselves rejoicing in that by living for Him who died for us. And if we haven't, if we're just living for ourselves, if, if we have not had that old mold of sin and guilt broken, then as the Apostle says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God so that you can say through faith, he who knew no sin, no sin became sin for me. So I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. What a, what a blessing, right? To be able to say that that reconciliation, that newness, that transformation has been ours to know in Jesus. What good news that is for us in our lives. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for what your good news has brought into our lives when we've known Christ. May we no longer look at you, your Son, or Spirit, or anything or anyone 
according to the flesh, but Lord, as those who have been made new in Jesus. May accept our prayers for Christ's